In pop culture, climbing Mount Everest represents the peak of physical achievement. It means climbing the world's highest mountain, pushing oneself to the brink of human limitation, and overcoming nearly insurmountable odds to stand at the roof of the world. The highest point on Earth, Everest is a daunting 29,032 feet above sea level, or about five and a half miles up. The wind chill is often a brutal 100 degrees below zero. In the stories we're told, there's an understanding that it's dangerous. There's a risk of death, but it's usually lip service paid to make the inevitable conquering of the mountain all the greater. No one tells stories about the times things didn't go according to plan. Disasters don't find a place in the ethos of Everest lore, but that's the story that John Krakauer has to tell. The spring of 1996 was the deadliest season in Everest history, with 12 people losing their lives, eight of whom were on John's expedition, not to mention the amputations and other injuries suffered by survivors. As a reporter, John was originally contracted to climb Everest with an expedition in order to write an article about what guided trips were like. As he puts it, quote, My assignment was to assess the qualifications of guides and clients and to provide the reading public with a discriminating first-hand look at the reality of how guided Everest climbs were conducted, unquote. As it turns out, climbing Everest is both pricey and time-consuming. The climbing license alone is at least 50 grand per person. On top of that, would-be climbers should prepare to pay for flights, equipment, and supplies. After going through the effort and preparation to finally get to base camp, the ordinary path to the top is to spend weeks at various heights along the mountain so the body can adjust to the altitude. Indeed, much of the book is spent discussing altitude-related illnesses, particularly their impacts once disaster started to unfold at the summit, but more on that shortly. Since most people do not have the skill set in order to go it alone, Guided expeditions of Everest have become a popular attraction. These tours are a commercialized industry that, despite the dangers, continues to attract people who want to cross climbing Everest off their bucket list and can afford to do so. Into this context, John found himself going on an expedition to document what one of these guided climbs were like. Are the guides qualified? How much danger is mitigated? How much remains? How much support can one expect from their guides? As a skilled climber and rider himself, John was perfectly positioned to take on this assignment. As he makes clear in the beginning, this story is not the one he originally intended to write. He wrote an article about the tragedy that occurred, but found he still carried survivor's guilt. On how the book came into being, he says, quote, The Everest climb rocked my life to its core. It became desperately important for me to record the events in complete detail, unconstrained by a limited number of column inches. This book is the fruit of that compulsion, unquote. Combined with other descriptions he gives, it's clear that while he left Everest, Everest did not leave him. Writing this book was about more than making money or increasing his platform. A meticulous reporter by trade, John interviewed survivors, compared notes to radio transmissions, and used all other information available to build out the narrative. His account includes details of all of the other climbers, who they were and what drove them to climb Everest in the first place. Into Thin Air feels as full a scope about their journey as can be had. Peppered throughout his story is the greater history of the mountain, like its identification in 1852 as the world's highest peak, and the story of its first ascent by Edmund Hillary 101 years later. Given this background, Into Thin Air is a unique book with a one-of-a-kind perspective. It's hard to call it good without sounding like a glorifying tragedy. It's a good book in the sense that it is well-written. It drifts between historical and personal factual and narrative, all while maintaining the tone of a documentary. He sketches out the various aspects of the journey like the people, 
cultures, and history. And these pieces are woven together into the story, so it doesn't feel like it drags or is disjointed. As an author, his style of writing is direct and perceptive. He uses great expressions to convey his ideas, and in this way he was able to keep the text interesting. But at the same time, this book isn't written to entertain. It's written to inform, and I think in some ways, try to make sense out of the senseless. The way he describes it, climbing Everest is essentially a human experience. The highs, confusion, complications, pain, nuance, and at times utter pointlessness crowd the pages of the book. It's sobering to read. Here in my house, in my air conditioner, and clothes, I have food, I have water, and am relatively safe from harm, as has been the case most every day of my life for the past 30 years. To say it another way, I've never known what it's like not to have the first two levels of Maslow's hierarchy fulfilled. On Mount Everest, confronted with life and death, they were fighting for their basic physiological needs like air, to say nothing of a sense of security or feeling safe. And that was before things took a turn for the worse. Shortly after reaching the summit, a storm whipped up, trapping more than a dozen climbers at an altitude of greater than 28,000 feet in hurricane-force sub-zero winds. Their several stories were told at the same time as each struggled to find safety. We see people at their best and worst as decisions were made to save themselves and others. Some individuals were selfish, and it cost lives. Others sacrificed much to help save others up to and including their own lives. Morality became a running motif throughout Into Thin Air, as most people had to wrestle with helping others and the blunt reality of physical limitation, given the exhaustion, lack of air, and bleak conditions. In describing his experience, one survivor said, quote, We were too tired to help. Above 8,000 meters is not a place where people can afford morality, unquote. That's something that makes you think. Another subject that was discussed off and on was the idea of turning around before reaching the top. Once a person has reached the summit, their journey is really only halfway over. It's tempting for climbers who have invested so much to push through the pain to reach the summit, but they have to maintain enough strength to get back down. A few stories are told of people on this expedition and in previous who turned around for one reason or another. Maybe the weather was turning, maybe they were overextending themselves. These stood out to me because people who are ambitious enough to climb Everest in the first place usually are not easily deterred in the face of obstacles. I respect the grit it takes to understand that their goal is not worth their lives. It's a misnomer to say rock climbers are only reckless adventure-seeking types. In reality, climbers are extremely technical. Every risk is carefully calculated and weighed. Yet this assessment is offset by something carnal that logic can't quite capture. What drives Alex Honnold to free solo El Capitan? It's the same thing that drives men and women to attempt Everest every year. In the face of overwhelming risk, despite stories like this one, the summit continues to be appealing. In fact, the day after I finished, I saw a front-page news story about a woman from Hong Kong who just broke the record for fastest ascent. She raced from base camp to the summit in just 25 hours and 50 minutes, smashing the previous record by 12 hours. There have actually been two other records set this year, too. Oldest American to summit at 75 years old, and first blind man from Asia. So that's cool. While these are noteworthy achievements that should be celebrated, juxtaposed against the book I just finished, I had a more sober appreciation for these accomplishments. I couldn't help but look it up. This year alone, four people have died on the slopes of Mount Everest. Mm -hmm.